Hey, listeners, if you are thinking about divorce and concerned about your children, please go to my online parenting plan course. It will help you plan how you're going to parent through divorce and beyond. And I promise you, it will keep conflicts from erupting in the future while keeping you centered on your children. Check it out at lisakoski.com. You are going to love this week's episode of Doing Divorce Different. We've got the lovely Duena Welch who joins us. She is the gal who puts the science behind relationships. She's been a professor for over 20 years and she is the author of these great books, Love Factually. Um, and there will be um, notes in the show notes where you can connect with her. But on today's episode, we are going to talk about her authentic story, how she got to where she is and what made her start studying relationships. Then we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness and how that works, whether you're going to stay in a relationship or leave a relationship. And finally, we end up talking about how to get the kids out of the middle of the divorce. So join us. You won't be sorry. Look forward to seeing you on Doing Divorce Different. I'm Lisa Kosky, and I really do want to help you through all of your divorce issues. Please go to lisakoski.com. I know that all my clients have different needs and wants from a full-blown divorce to some free information. I have all kinds of information. I have blogs and a YouTube channel with lots of videos to help you through this process. There's online courses that will help you create your own parenting plan, group courses available, and of course, one-on-one coaching or helping couples through the whole divorce process. I am here for you and I want to help you. Go to lisakoski.com, sign up for my newsletter, and just stay on top on all the current information. I really do want to help alleviate your fears of divorce. Here we are with the lovely Duena Welch. We are so excited to have you here because you put the science in relationships, and that is so interesting to all of us. And today we are hoping to learn from you. Um, Well, first of all, we always like to hear your authentic story about why you're here and how you're serving people. And then, um, you know, a little bit would be great if you could talk about you know, I know you really value marriage. And I think some of our listeners are wondering, is it time to go or not? And I think you can, you have, you know, some of your books will recount the things I think we're going to learn today. And all of that will be in our show notes so people can find you, the author of all those Love Actually, Factually books. So, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness and kids and how to not get them in the middle. So that's what we hope to cover. But welcome. You are joining me in my barn. And I have to tell you something funny today. This is the joys of doing this from my barn. I think there's a skunk living somewhere like underneath. 
<laughs> so I'm not sure how I'm going to deal with that. So if you see me, you know, scrunch my nose, you'll, you'll know why. Well, <laughs> I, I, I kind of love it that you're doing this from a barn. Uh, I don't have anything nearly that exotic. I'm just in a regular old office, but my dog's here. So I guess, you know, there you we go. have animals in our lives. Thank you yeah. so much for having me on. I am always thrilled to talk to people who understand that science can help us have really a better life because it can. Yep. Yep. Well, would you mind sharing your story? Because I know you've been through a lot that has kind of led you down the path to help people going through the things you've gone through. Yeah, I don't mind at all. I have been through a lot. And that's actually what took me down the path of learning about relationship science. Starting in my 20s, I just realized that the things that my culture, my friends, my family were telling me to do, they weren't working. I was getting my heart trounced again and again. And so I was getting my PhD in memory and aging, not at all what I do now. And I thought to myself, self, why are you stumbling around? You're doing so well professionally. Why don't you find out if some other nerd has, you don't study this, but you know, there are bound to be some other nerdy types who've studied this, who understand the science behind relationships. It was really a brainwave for me that it occurred to me to even look. And there weren't any books about it at the time, but there was, there was data. And so I started reading the actual sources, the science, and I made a notebook where I made a plan for myself of what I was going to do and what I wasn't going to do going forward. I had the attitude that my life was my own experiment. And I was telling people I was doing this and they just thought, you know, well, that's just nuts. Why is she doing that? But it worked. You know, I wound up in a very, very loving and happy marriage. And you know what? Unfortunately, he went down the path of addiction, and so it didn't last. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. Sometimes people will act as if a marriage can't have been valid unless it lasted your lifetime, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that there are relationships that are meaningful and wonderful and that add so much to our life, even if they end later on. Yeah, I will say, had I understood anything about addiction at the time and that he was involved in that, I would have spared myself that pain. I would have done so. And I think I may be jumping ahead, but if I remember correctly, you do you have three reasons not to stay in a marriage? Yeah. And is that one of them? It is. You know, so, so in the United States right now, two-thirds of marriages that are ending, science indicates that probably they could thrive if they just hung in there and got some help. So, so two-thirds, so you're saying mm -hmm. only a third need to really end. Well, it's a third to a half. So, okay. so let me summarize the data. It depends which study you look at, but it's a third to a half of relationships that meet what I call the criteria of the three A's. They have one or all or two of the following, chronic addiction, chronic adultery, chronic abuse. Easy it, to remember. The three A's, adultery, addiction, abuse. If those things are happening, if your partner is a profligate cheater, not just they, you know, people come back from one episode. Most mm -hmm. people do something. Two thirds of people wind up even happier than before if they get the right therapist, if they learn how to speak to each other about the affair, if the person having the affair truly gives up the partner and becomes transparent to the, um, the cheat E the cheater becomes right. transparent to the cheat E until the cheat E feels like, okay, I can trust you again. 
and the cheat er gives the cheat e all the details that he or she wants and i want to emphasize that most people will say oh no don't talk about the details research shows that if you don't talk about the details these are the people who don't get past it so you should talk about the details as many as your partner wants to know and no more than that as often right. as your partner wants to discuss it and no more often than that so you know whoever had the affair the onus is on them to make it right the onus is on the um person who was cheated upon to be open to their partner making it right and to understand that just because your partner really screwed up and screwed around doesn't mean you get to abuse them. Right. And I'm guessing that's where we could talk a little bit about forgiveness. Yeah, we can, you know, but if with any of these, and we will, if with any of these, if, if your partner is chronically unfaithful, if your partner is chronically addicted and can't get help, won't get help, doesn't stay sober and you can't stand it anymore. If your partner is abusive, by which I mean, do they use any method to control you in a way that is mean-spirited or hurtful? That's really the science definition of abuse is an ongoing program of control that invokes harm um, physically or emotionally. And you so said it, ongoing. So it's that's ongoing. If, if a person hurts your feelings once, no. Right. If the person uses continual threats or put downs or controls all the money or does anything that amounts to, I am demeaning and degrading you physically or emotionally for the purpose of controlling you. If that's an ongoing thing, yes, get out. Yep. Yep. So that's what the science says. A third to a half of marriages uh, that end fit those criteria. Those people really do do better getting out of the marriage. But the other folks, the folks who just grew apart or, you know, a lot of other folks, they don't find that they're as happy. In fact, research shows that they had no clue how hard divorce was going to be. They find it very difficult to get into another relationship that had everything going for it that their last one did before it went south. And so, you know, um, there's another study that found that 85% of people who were unhappy with their marriages and were contemplating divorce described themselves as very happy within five years if they just hung in there. Really? Mm -hmm. 85%. Yeah. I'm writing that down. And that is something because when I do consultations before people start the process, I want to make really sure that they're sure that they're taking the right step because it's not easy. You know, it's a it's a big life change. And um, so you saying that 85 percent that stay in the marriage, unless those three A's are present. Are happy, they describe themselves as very happy, very happy, very happy. You know, they're they're glad they didn't get divorced. They're very happy with their partner again. Uh, most of the time, you know, seven percent of people remarry the same partner they divorced. So what percent? Seven percent. Okay. <laughs> so, so you know, anyone we have loved, there's a chance we could love them again if we learned how to relate to them differently. So, you know, I think you're. I, I really admire that you try to find out could this marriage be saved. Do you understand what this means? Because women often don't understand that the odds of remarriage are much lower for them than they are for men, for a lot of reasons. I didn't know that. Much how different. Lower. How, low, how much lower? Oh, God, I don't remember the precise numbers. What I remember is that um, it's partly due to custody issues. Um, 
people don't necessarily love your kids the way that you love them. They don't necessarily think, yay, this person has kids. I can't wait to help them raise their kids, especially (laughs) with their difficult ex. That's going to be fun. I say this as someone who was a single mom to a very young child with a chronic health condition. So I I understand emotionally what I'm talking about here. I'm not just, you know, speaking scientifically. I, I get it. But, you know, it's really as hard as it was to find the right person the first time around, it's much harder when you now have possibly children, an ex, former in-laws, your parents. There's this whole, it's not just baggage, it's a baggage train. You're supposed to meld all these people somehow. That turns out, no duh, to be harder than it is when when you're young and just starting out. So I think it's really wonderful that you emphasize to people, this is not a step that you should make lightly. Now I say that having been divorced twice from people with addictions, I know really well how hard this is. And I know that sometimes it's necessary. Right. And sometimes it just is. Yeah. And that's why I do what I do because mm-hmm. I know that it is necessary at times. Um, and, it, you know, we're supposed to alleviate the fear of divorce. I don't know if we're doing that at this moment, but that's okay. It's true. And that's, that's more, more important. Um, can you touch a little bit on forgiveness? And I have a question for you along those lines. Um, but first, if you could just address it, I'll come back to my question when you're When you talk about, you know, I talked about like, say someone had an affair um, and that's where, and say you're going to stay in the marriage or even if you're going to get divorced and you have kids together, how do you, how do you start taking steps towards forgiveness? So the first, I love that question. The first thing is whether you're in or out of a relationship, betrayals happen and you're going to need to forgive. Forgiveness is a totally separate thing than what boundaries you set up with the person. You can forgive someone you're still with. You can forgive someone you're never going to speak with again. You can forgive somebody that you're going to tell you forgave them. You can forgive somebody where it would be dangerous to tell them. People commonly don't forgive because they feel like if I forgive, I have to let them come back and do it again. I want to take a big load off your shoulders. Forgiveness is not being a doormat. It is not failing to have boundaries. All forgiveness is, 100% of it, And I I understand your church, your synagogue, or your mosque. They may have told you something else. From a science standpoint, all forgiveness is, is letting go of your anger and your desire for revenge. That's it. Which means, as long as I let go of my anger and my desire for revenge, I must set up healthy boundaries that allow me to maintain my wholeness, my dignity, my self-worth, my integrity. So let's say that you're still with someone who had an affair. One of your boundaries can be... I am letting go of my anger, my vengefulness to you, but you have to show me your cell phone every day. Right. I am letting go of my anger, my vengefulness to you, but I'm not ready to have sex with you again yet. I'm not, I'm not past the hurt. I'm past the anger, but not the hurt. I am letting go of my anger, my vengefulness about this, but I need to talk about the affair more so that I can process all the details and make sense of what I thought my life was like and what it was really like. You know, that time that you said that you couldn't make it to our daughter's choir performance, but actually you were trysting. I have to know that so that I don't feel crazy. Right. So there's a difference between 
saying, hey, it's all cool, no big deal. That's not what forgiveness is at all. Look, if you are so hurt that you're having to consider whether or not to forgive someone, by definition, it was a really big deal. So, okay, so it sounds like what I've just told you is, so just let go of your anger and vengefulness, cool. <laughs> I, um, that's like if somebody came to me and said, hey, Dr. Welch, how do I become less depressed? And I said, just do it. No, this is not right. a Nike commercial. <laughs> so let's talk about how do you do it? Step number one, let yourself be good and angry for probably about a year. Okay, this is what I was going to ask you about. What about if you're not staying with them and you're going through the divorce and you want to work with a mediator? So we need to work to keep emotions a little bit. We need to deal with them, but then when we're together, we need to be able to work through them. And what if it's been six months? So I'm going to say something that um, that's going to strike you as a real uh -oh. newsflash here. <laughs> People are not perfect and timing doesn't always work out. Right. A lot of people have to get a divorce during a time when they're still feeling pretty vengeful and angry. That's right. just how it works out. And that's why your job is so important is to help them see the best interest of themselves and their children and the big picture when they cannot do it. So what I'm saying is not everybody can afford to wait until they've forgiven in order to get divorced. Not everyone can do that. Right. Life is messy. I'm giving you kind of best case scenario. You okay. know what? If you had best case scenario, you'd probably still be married. So I, I, I'm not going to hold up a set of unrealistic expectations. I'm going to advise your listeners to listen to you and to do, even if they don't feel like it, do what is in their best interest and forgive later. Look, for a while, it makes sense to be good and angry. People who claim that they've forgiven right after an event happened, they're just they're in denial with a prettier label. That's all that's happening there. We have to process the emotions we feel. Just saying we don't feel them is not adequate. But there comes a time, I remember I dated this guy who he's, he was just really trash talking his ex on our first date, bad plan. I knew right away I was never seeing him again, but I'm a psychologist. So I got really um, intrigued by the right. story. So I looked, looked, leaned and listened and said, Oh my goodness. It sounds like the single parenting gig with your ex has been really hard. How long ago was the divorce? 10 years, 10 freaking years. <laughs> really? Okay. People, if it's been a year, you need to do some work, right? It is time. And the work you need to do is you need to write a letter where you journal everything that this person did that hurt you, why it hurt you, how you felt, that's step one. Is this, that, did you talk about an empty chair? You can write a letter or say it to an empty chair. You can We're say it to an empty chair. Okay. You can write it in a journal. A lot of people find that the journal thing helps more because it slows them down, makes them really think about it. Yep. You could do both. I'm in favor of both. Mm -hmm. But research shows that both of these things work. Okay. Keep going. The big, the big forgiveness guru is a psychologist named Dr. Everett, uh, Everett Worthington. Okay. Anyway, so, you know, these studies have been conducted at Harvard and other illustrious places, and they show that forgiveness really has, it has benefits for your health. It has benefits for your emotions right now. It has benefits for your future relationship. It's, it's a good thing to do. So, um, and, and really it's a good thing to do for you, independent of how it affects the other person. The other person may never know that you forgave them. You don't have to tell them this is for you. So that, that I like that idea means a lot to me. 
yeah, um, for many reasons. But okay, now here's a question. Uh-huh. So now I'm thinking in my head, if I'm going through a divorce, I'm going to write a letter and I'm probably not going to give it to the person. No. What about if you're staying in the relationship? Do you handle it any different? Do the exercise without them first, which doesn't just involve writing down all the ways you've been wronged and why it hurt. It involves then seeing it from their standpoint. Okay. People hate this part. Yeah. I just got sick to my stomach. Yeah. No. (laughs) And, and and I do everything that I tell my clients to do. I have clients all over the world. I do it all. I know how hard it is. I've done it myself. I have seen addictions from my ex's point of view. Right. I've seen that they thought they were, he thought he was going to come pick up our little boy and he started drinking and he couldn't stop. He didn't start the day with a plan not to pick up our son. Right. He started the day thinking, I'll just have, you know, care of the dog. It'll be fine. Now, does that mean that my son wasn't crushed by that? No. Does it mean that I didn't have my heart broken and that I wasn't pissed Mm -hmm. seeing my son hurt? No. Those are real feelings. But what it does mean, and this is what's at the bottom of the empathy part of the exercise, where you see it from the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. What it does mean is it wasn't about us. What you discover when you do this exercise is that it isn't about you. It affected you, but it's not about you. It's not like this person started their day, unless they are a sociopath who loves hurting people. And even then it's about them, not you. They love hurting people. Right. This isn't about you. And that really somehow helps people to let go of their anger. It doesn't mean let go of your boundaries. I got where I had a boundary. You don't show up in half an hour. We're going to go do something else. Right. You want to yell at me on the phone because we went and did something else? I'll pick up, but I'm going to hear you for a couple minutes. And then I'm going to say, it sounds like we're both getting really upset. We'll talk again when we can be kind of respectful to each other. And then when we talk again, if it happens again, I say the same thing. And then when we talk again, if it happens again, I say the same thing. And if we talk again and you say something to me in a reasonable tone of voice, because you never, ever brook unkindness or disrespect ever, that's a boundary. Mm-hmm. If you say to me in a reasonable tone of voice, I'm really upset. I got to your house. The two of you were not there. I will say, that's right. Our son was devastated that you didn't show up. So I took him to do something that would take his mind off it. I plan to continue doing this. If you are on time or reasonably on time, that's cool. But this hurts when you don't show up. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying this is what it feels like over here. Right. And this is the plan. So you tell the other party your feelings and how it made you feel. Yes. You say, and this, you know, this will carry you through any relationship. Mm -hmm. I feel I need. I feel I I need. I feel I need. That puts the onus on you owning your feelings instead of you criticizing them. Because when you criticize someone, they defend themselves and it never goes anywhere. Research shows that arguments end on the same note they began on 100% of the time. 100%. You know, we don't get that in social science very much. We get 70%, 20%. We don't get 100% almost ever. This is one where we know from a 40-year longitudinal study of married couples, happy and not, that arguments 100% of the time end on the same note they begin on. So if you want progress, what you do is say, um, your son and I really felt hurt and lonely and at loose ends when you were late 
we didn't notice. I didn't say you're a big fat jerk. You never right. <laughs> I start with I, your son and I, here's how we felt. And what we need is for you to be reasonably on time or let us know if you're going to be a few more minutes late. And if we don't get that, we're going to go and do this other thing. It's just setting a boundary. You're not yeah. saying you're a horrible person. You're saying, here's our feelings. Here's what we need. We will meet our needs without you if we must. Well, and Duana, this is going to be really helpful for some of those high conflict divorces too, um, for me to make sure that they learn from you because that would be a way that we can get to agreements instead of keep arguing, you know, circle through an argument over and over again. So that is extremely good information. Thank you. It's I, it's the broken record technique where you say the same thing again and yeah. again, but there's a boundary within this technique, which is the moment you are addressed in a manner that you find, not that they find, that you find unkind or disrespectful, you say to the person, whether it's text, whether it's a phone call, whether it's an email, it seems like things are getting heated. Let's talk again when we're both calm. And then yeah. you cease interaction until that happens. Yep. Yep. That's a, that's a great tip. I mean, I even think for when you're in the middle of uh, an argument with your husband. Yeah. In that case, research indicates that you take a break of 20 to 30 minutes duration where you truly distract yourself from the argument. And that's because people don't process um, arguments very well when their heart rate gets above hundred yes. beats a minute. Isn't that interesting that we know the exact heart rate where things yes. go sideways? So once people's heart rates get above 100 BPM, the argument just doesn't work out. People can't hear what's said anymore. Right. And so in that case, you wouldn't just say, it seems like things are getting heated. Let's take a break and come back and talk when we both feel more relaxed. You would specifically say, how about if we take a break for 20 minutes and then come back to it? Right. Yep. That's a great plan. Um, okay. Now I'm looking at my clock and I'm thinking, I want to hear a little bit about how to keep your kids out of the middle of a divorce. And this is all new information to me. So I'm really excited to learn this from you. Okay. Well, I, I find this information really liberating. It will help your children do better in school. It will help your children to have better self-esteem. It will help your children to be more obedient with you. It will help your children to get in less trouble outside of your home. It will help them to be happier. Who doesn't want this? Right. These are outcomes that everybody wants. So how do you do that? For one thing, you never trash talk your ex in front of uh, your kids ever, 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 ever. Yes. That is a very important one. Now, that doesn't mean you lie to your children. I did not say to my son, your dad's a deadbeat who never shows up on time. And he's totally irresponsible. Right. I did say to my son, you know, I know you're really heartbroken right now that your dad isn't here. It's hurtful when that happens. I know it feels like it's about you. It's not. Dad body doesn't process alcohol very well. When he starts drinking alcohol, he can't stop. So you're honest. You're and it and it's interesting because I had Ellen Bruno, she's a documentary filmmaker. And I don't have you seen that 
the film Split. No, but I haven't, talked, but now I'm going to. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I, I've got it. And um, it, it's amazing. But she kind of addresses that too about how kids need to know that it's not their fault. And that when you trash talk, as you said, the other parent, that child is half of that parent and they're going to take it personally. I say the same thing in my book, Love Factually, for single parents and those dating them. This child is half you and half your ex. And yep. when you say something bad about your ex, you are saying that your child's a bad person. Yep. When you say, on the other hand, like what I said, you know, your your dad's body doesn't process alcohol. That doesn't make him to be out to be a bad person. He's a good man. He's got a bad problem. Right. It's a new, more of a neutral circumstance, kind of. Well, it's it's the truth, but but it is kind. Right. It's not saying your dad's a horrible person. It's not maligning his character. Trash talking means you're maligning the character and motives of this other person. Right. Don't do that. The, the other thing not to do is don't make your kid carry messages for you or spy on what's or report what's happening in the other house or, or be your spy. Don't do any of those things. Let your kid, your child will tell you what he or she or they need to tell you and, or want to tell you. And you can process that in your journal with a therapist if you feel like you need to with child protective, but not with your child. Um, now, what about if the other parent is trash talking you? <laughs> and because this I know is a question people are out there asking. What if what if you're not your your hands are clean, you're keeping your side of the street clean and they're not? We can't control other people. That if we could, we'd all still be married because our exes would have done what we wanted them to do. We can't <laughs> control other people. But I will say we can make it less toxic a lot of the time. By giving our ex, every, this is going to sound ironic. You're not going to want to do it again. Have I done it? Yes, it was hard. Give everything you can to your ex. You know how in your custody agreement it says that they only get X number of holidays and you switch off every, every year. And th this year, it's your year to have you know, Hanukkah or Christmas or Easter or what have you. It's your year to have them. And your your ex says, yeah, but, you know, I really wanted to take the kids on a trip that week. And, you know, it's the only week I have off for the rest of the next six months. And I know it's your time, but, and you think I'm going to turn that screw. Right. There's a big price to be paid for turning the screw. What if instead, if you're in a position to give them what they ask for, what if you say yes and you make it where they don't feel so bitter about you because they don't have so much reason to feel so bitter about you. And then when you ask for something, guess what's likely to happen? So when you call them and say, you know, there's been something that's kind of cropping up a lot. I noticed that Timothy's coming home saying that, you know, I, I'm going to use an example from my, from my own life that, um, that I, uh, didn't trust you enough and that um, I'm just a scaredy cat and I, I never know what's good for me and that I unfairly took you away and uh, took him away from you. And, you know, that's, that's putting Timothy in an awkward position. Even if you're right, it's putting him in an awkward position. I want you to know you're the most important man in our child's life. And I always speak well of you. Mm -hmm. I speak well of you and of your motives to him. And I do that because I loved you enough to marry you and have a baby with you. 
So there are good things about you. And the other reason I do that is because I know it hurts him if I don't. Right. So I can't make you do anything. By the way, people are much more likely to do what you want if you say that because you're releasing them from a demand. You're you're acknowledging that this is their choice. That's I can't, a good one. <laughs> I can't. Well, it's psychology. I mean, yeah. You know, there, there are experiments that show that this works. I can't make you do anything. I just want to ask you to consider tweaking this a little bit. I'm writing that one down. Okay. All these, all these things, all these little um, points that I'm trying to write down. And I think for our listeners, um, your books are amazing. And tell them, and I'll have it in the show notes, but where can they find you, Duena? Where's the best place for them? To well, find thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I love you for saying that. <laughs> my, you can find me and my books at lovefactually, with an F, dot C-O, lovefactually.co, not dot com, dot co. And you'll see a tab that will let you, um, you know, email me or look, about, look, look into coaching. But there's free content of all my books there as well. And I found that. Books. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Thank you for putting that. Thank you for, for being vulnerable and putting that out in the world. And thank you so much for being here. And Duena, I have a favor. I would like to have you come back because I, we, I have a lot of listeners that are also really interested in dating after divorce and um, keeping the kids in mind and themselves. And I think you also have a lot of information about that. Oh, I have a whole book about it. I know. <laughs> I think we are going to have to have you back. I would love to come back and talk about that because it is different when you have children, but it doesn't have to be worse. Love that because that can be scary for people. I mean, that is, yeah, one of the major concerns that a lot of my clients have. So we will look forward to having you back. And thank you so much for being here with us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You're so welcome. Take good care. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next week on Doing Divorce Different. Mm -hmm.